AM 1420 WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. Welcome to the program where we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. Happy Memorial Day weekend to you. And uh, we have a great show planned for you tonight because joining us tonight is a legend in the paranormal. Uh, we have the one, the only, Whitley Strieber joining us, and we actually have him ready to go. He is the author of more than 20 novels and works of nonfiction, among them the landmark work Communion, his account of a close encounter of the third kind that took place in December of 1985. He is also the author of The Wolfen, The Hunger, and The Coming Global Superstorm, all of which were made into feature films. Uh, and of course, his new book is The Key, A True Encounter, and it is a fascinating read, and it, it, it probably should be required reading for the human race if you read the messages that are in the key. And he's joining us now to talk about it. So please welcome the one, the only, Whitley Strieber. Good evening, Mr. Strieber. How are you? Good evening. It's good to be here. Well, we're honored to have you. I, I have to tell you that when I was about 10 or 12 years old, uh, I happened upon communion in the bookstore. And although it was a fascinating read, I have to admit, I still have that original paperback copy that I purchased, but I had to rip the cover off of it. <laughs> because every time I looked at it on my bookshelf, it really freaked me out. So I can't imagine what it was like for you living through it. Well, it was not as clear as that, obviously. What I saw was less, uh, it was all happening quickly, and it was dark, and I was uh, pretty confused, so... I only really had glimpses. However, a friend of mine, on some years later, when Ann and I were leaving New York for the last time, the, uh, this uh, being on the cover showed up, and at, at this man's with this and with this man, and and he he saw her more clearly. Or it, or him. I, we always thought of it as a woman for some reason, and said it wasn't. She was much closer, much less terrible looking than that. So, who knows? Well, uh, it, it, like I said, uh, it, it really uh, opened my eyes up to the idea of the abduction experience. Uh, when I was younger, I didn't realize uh, the extent to how these grays and, and maybe even other races of alien beings were actually interacting with mankind. Uh, but it, in the key now, it's it's a slightly <laughs> different tone to a, to the read. Although there is some some um, you know prophetic things in there that make me a little bit worried about the future of our world. Uh, it does seem like we are destined, or we're supposedly destined, uh, to be much more evolved beings than we are. Well, one would hope so, because if this is, <laughs> this is all there is, then it's been a rather dis disappointing five billion years for planet Earth. I think. Mm. Um, we, it, it, the first time, I've never been sure that we're actually involved with aliens at all. I, I don't know what they are. I've, nothing's ever been proved one way or another. So 
I sort of keep an open mind as to exactly what it was, what it's all about. I, I I really wouldn't say that I would agree that we're we have aliens among us. I I'm just uh, not sure. Uh, uh, however, I am sure that the <coughs> master of the key. I call him that because I don't have a name. It never he never gave me his name, and I stupidly never thought to. Ask. It did have some remarkable things to say, and they gained authority over time because over time, some of his most um, improbable statements turned out to have a lot of scientific validity. And especially in the past few years, a couple of the more outlandish statements made in 1998 and then recorded in 2001 in my first little book I did, The Key, which was on my website, so they're provably provably existed from 2001 on, have turned out to have more than just a grain of truth in them. They've turned out to be quite correct. For example, he said that the universe is, that there's more than one universe. And I don't mean the galaxy we live in, but the whole universe that supposedly started with the Big Bang, this enormous thing that we thought was all that is. Actually, there are others like it out there. And to my, when I first heard him say that, I thought, well, that doesn't sound very true. Uh, how could that even be true? However, recently, studies of the background radiation in our universe have drawn cosmology or astrophysicists to the conclusion that it has collided with one or more other universes at least four times in its life. They are out there, in other words. The man was right. And in 1998, and still true in 2001, that was absolutely, it wasn't even scientific heresy. It was just considered ridiculous. But there he was. He said it. And he's correct. There were other things like that. So... There's, there was really something remarkable happening on that night that I encountered the master of the key. There's no question at all about it in my mind anymore. And it was a, a just a, a gentleman who showed up at your hotel room. Uh, actually, we're almost approaching the anniversary on, on June 6, 1988. Uh, I'm sorry. And what, what was the first thought going into your mind when, when this man approached you in your hotel room? I thought he was from room service because I had ordered a meal and I had my tray was still there and I'd fallen asleep I didn't realize initially when the knock came on the door how late it was I thought it, I assumed you know I'd just fallen asleep for a few minutes because I, you know I opened the door to give him the tray and this man instead walked in and I've described him in a number of different ways the first time I ever wrote about him I said he was about four and a half feet tall that can't be true he must have been taller, probably five and a half feet. I think I just misprinted it or something. Mm -hmm. um, because I would have noticed that immediately upon opening the door. And, and when I opened, initially opened the door, he seemed perfectly normal. He came in. Uh, he was wearing dark clothing. I recall a dark turtleneck, like charcoal gray and dark pants. He looked to be in his 70s. Uh, a rather sharp face. Uh, not an unpleasant face. He he was, uh, I would say, not smiling, but certainly didn't look in the least bit offensive. And instead of going for the tray, which was sitting right there on the desk, he went toward the windows and started talking. And at that point, 
I thought, oh my, I've got somebody in here who wants to give me a piece of his mind, and it's late, and I really don't want this. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was thinking, how would he found, have found my room, et cetera? They must he must have paid off a bellhop or something. <laughs> and um, but then some of the things he said sort of arrested my attention, and I began asking him questions, and there followed the most remarkable conversation I've ever had in my life. And in the term, in the course of that conversation, it it, it definitely uh, shifted in tone from I, I don't know a, a lot of hope and a lot of promise for mankind if they can achieve some of the things that the master of the key is talking about. But also, it, it seems like we're stuck in we're mired in some kind of I, I don't know. There's something holding us back as as a as a species and as a as a as a collective body. I think it's greed. I've thought a lot about that. And there, it, it, and the key, the, the, what the man said, a lot of the material is really extremely subtle. It, I mean, it, it's on the surface, it's perfectly straightforward. But a lot of the things that, uh, that, uh, he said have, uh, uh resonance, lots of multi-dimensional resonances and depths. And, He's, he seems to be saying that he makes such a play of such a, a a thing toward the end of the conversation about compassion and about the need to serve others and essentially the the whole thing that of Christian charity, although he doesn't specifically mention Christ, it's really right out of the the Gospels and it's the same message in that sense. And. We're not, we're in denial about that. We're not actually living that. He makes the point that every person in the developed world has, I think he says, five slaves in the undeveloped world. And, you know, if you look down at your shoes, if you're wearing sneakers or you're wearing a shirt made in Pakistan and, or, uh, uh sneakers from Bangladesh or Vietnam or anything, socks from, uh, Indonesia, most of the people who make these things get nothing. Essentially, they get a wage so small that they can't stop working, and they have to work six, some of them seven days a week. And many, many of these workers are children. So, yeah, he's telling us the truth. We don't want to hear that, though. We don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear it. But it's true. And he describes a planet, a world, and a species that is in imminent peril, basically, because of the kind of denial that we're in. Like, you know, we, we in our world in the West have started to, to substitute, for example, public opinion for the authority of science. Nobody dares talk about global warming anymore and then because it's, it, public opinion has been turned against it by skillful propagandists. And uh, he laid out exactly what's going to happen. He laid it out. And it is happening. Ten years later, you can see it. Any Anyone who has the eyes can see we're not far from the things that he predicted happening, unfolding in our lives, and they're going to really mess this place up. Uh, he, didn't, and, he, he didn't just lay it out, though. He, he gave a full play-by-play. He gave, well, he didn't exactly. He, yeah, he gave a full play-by-play, but when, when I, when I, transcribed the con after I really transcribed it, really sat down with the conversation and thought out what this man had said and transcribed it. I could see that he had really laid out this 
how this whole cycle of ice ages that we've been in for all of these millions, couple of million years now, works. And uh, I started doing research into the science, into scientific papers, basically. And I found that everything he had said appeared somewhere in the scientific in, 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 in scientific writing, but no one had put the whole thing together. I did put it together when Art Bell and I wrote a book called Superstorm and published it. And we went on the Today Show and we were laughed at by Matt Lauer, uh, who's turned out to be completely wrong because we're we are just a, a hair's breadth away from this happening. And the way the weather has been acting in the world lately is very worrisome, very worrisome. Uh, we've uh, and it, it, it's he, he laid it out. He just laid it out, and, and no one will listen. No one wants to hear it. And when but you we were, just sorry, go on. And no, we, go ahead. What was I going to say when you were discussing the idea of of the greed uh, being the downfall of of our society? It, the greed is part of what blinds us to this happening. I mean, there's so many companies that are making their living off the fact that they are destroying our world. And uh, yeah. it would throw our economy in disarray to try to change away from it. That's a huge problem, and it's one that we're going to face the consequences of. Uh, we we will live this, and most people alive uh, hearing this now will live through this. It's not far from now at all, and I'll tell you why I know that. Uh, the the two critical things are uh, that that will that lead to sudden climate change are the collapse of the Gulf Stream, which happens when fresh water flows out of the Arctic after the melt of melting of ice in Greenland and the Arctic and, and the polar cap. And two, the huge amount of methane that's released from permafrost melting permafrost and from frozen methane depart deposits under the Arctic Ocean as the Arctic warms. These two things are on the point of happening. Last summer, the Arctic was very warm, and a great deal of methane was released. And Russian scientists noticed, as the as in in farther northern far northern Siberia last September, as ice began to form over the lakes, which it does about that time of year in in Siberia, northern Siberia that there seemed from satellite views to be enormous bubbles under the ice. And so they went out there to check and see what these bubbles were. And they found that the first ones that got out there, before they had had brought enough equipment out to really test the test for what type of gas it was, they found they really didn't need the equipment because if they would break a hole, and they would press on the ice to force some of the some of the some of the gas out. They could light it. It was pure methane coming up from below, and that is the most powerful greenhouse gas there is. It's much more powerful than carbon dioxide. And if this summer, or next summer, or any summer in the next few years. Enough of that gas is present in the atmosphere of the Arctic 
to hold, to, to cause a real heat spike in the Arctic, then the fresh water that is in the Arctic Ocean that's already there is going to be added to by enough melt from Greenland and the North Pole to actually flow down into the Atlantic and end the flow of the Gulf Stream. And here's the fantastic thing. You hear nothing about this. No. Nothing. But you do hear one thing. Eager plans. When the Northwest Passage melts, we'll be able to move oil cheaper than we can now because it'll be a shorter route. I mean, they're planning, eagerly planning to use the Northwest West Passage. Passage. I mean, you talk about a death trip. That's insane. That's insane that that's all you see about this in the media. When, in fact, we're talking about the end of our world as we understand it now. Because when this happens, the first effect will be the growing season in the most agriculturally potent parts of the world. The United States, Canada, Europe, and Russia is going to be radically altered and, and in ways that won't change now for thousands of years. And we're not, in fact, going to be able to feed the, nearly the number of people we can feed now on planet Earth. And here's the thing. When I went out with Superstore Art and I went out with Superstore, Matt Lauer sneered at us. Uh, others took it up his cue and did the same. But right now, we are so close to this happening, actually happening, that there have been scientists, for example, a group of German scientists, uh, studied cores from an ancient lake bed in northern Germany that has remained undisturbed for many thousands of years because uh, it was, I believe, covered by peat. And they found the last time this happened, about 14,000 years ago, it took just 30 days for the climate to change. Wow. And it remained like that in a much colder mode for another 2,000 years than it started to warm up again. But we can't handle that. We don't have 2,000 years. We'd be lucky to have four years under those circumstances. Well, and, and the master of the key was explaining all this to you. I mean, what was going through your mind when he's explaining this? Are you, are you, do you feel panic? What was going through my mind? I was mildly curious, but I thought basically he was sort of nutty. Mm-hmm. I was ignorant and, and arrogant and think, thinking it could never happen here. It could never be like that. It certainly never happened during my lifetime. It's all ridiculous, blah, blah. The usual, the same thing anyone, most people feel when they, when they, when they have these, hear these things. He spoke, one interesting thing about him that did really arrest my attention. When I asked a question, his answer was instant. In other words, there was not even a breath. I would say something and it would be like this. Uh, what is so-and-so? It would go like this. What is so-and-so? The answer to your question is such-and-such. Such. In other words, there was inst- it was instantaneous. He didn't even, have, he didn't even need to take a breath. Mm-hmm. He didn't even need to think for a second about what he was going to say. He said it immediately, every time. And that, after a few minutes, I did notice that, and it was very unusual. I'd never heard anyone speak like that. And he seemed to have absolutely complete command of everything he had to say. And he really knew his stuff. Is, is there a possibility that he may have known the questions before you asked them? Of course. 
who knows who he really was or what he really was. I mean, I took him to be a human being when I was sitting with him, sitting in front of him on the edge of the bed, and he was talking. I, I, I didn't... Uh, uh, it didn't occur to me that anything else was going on until the next morning when I woke up and I thought about it and I thought, God, what an incredible conversation. I took in a few sort of scriggly notes that I had lying there on the floor and I thought to myself, you know, this this was actually one of those strange experiences like we've had and I know what I do with those experiences, which is I blow them off. I was not prepared for this when it first came to me, when I first had the communion experience. And I really had a tendency to kind of blow off the unusual stuff. I just don't run with it at first. And fortunately, though, I do run with it enough. Uh, so I called my wife from the hotel room and I said, Ann, I'm going to, I had this thing happen last night and I want you to, to remember, I'm telling you now, it really happened, because you know me, I'm going to blow it off, for sure. And I don't want to blow it off, because it's very important that I write down what this man said, and that that, that I, I keep a record of it of some kind. I didn't know what I would do with it at the time. And I denied it two or three times, and every time I did it, she'd say, no, no, remember you called me that morning, and you said it was real, it really happened, and not to forget it. And finally, about... Um, I searched around for him, trying to figure out who he was and trying to find someone who might know him uh, for a couple of years. And finally I decided, you know, I better write all this down because if I don't, I'm going to really forget it. And I sat down. I found it pretty easy, actually, to write it down. Once I got started, and uh, it wasn't hard. Uh, and I also had the little notes, which helped me, even though they weren't very extensive. They still were good mnemonic devices, and they helped me. So uh, that's, you know, that's kind of how it happened. And I think, it, I think it's turned out, I mean, his, the thing, some of the things he said, like he talked so much about science, and so many things have come to be true, but one thing hasn't yet. That is that he said there is no such thing as the supernatural. It's all nature some parts of which we understand and some parts of which we don't. And if you go back over the history of science, that's been true forever. Back in the 18th century, they were laughing at people who claimed that there were such things as rocks falling out of the sky, which we now know are meteors. Uh, Voltaire, uh, who was one of the great scientists of his era, dismissed uh, fossils, saying, oh, those are just fish bones thrown aside by travelers. And... You know, all of this stuff, we, we, you know, when science has a limit, and science always thinks that's the limit of knowledge, and that goes another step forward. The thing that he's talked about that we haven't gotten to yet is conscious energy. And he said that the soul exists, that it's part of conscious energy, that conscious energy is actually a much larger part of consciousness in the universe than physical life. It was a remarkable statement, and he goes on to explain how it works. He explains how psychics work, how there how there is a, an actual organ that is that 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 has a, has quantum physical aspects to it uh, that we can use in 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 um, that we use in in psychic hits and so on and so forth. And 
I have a feeling that sometime in the near future, maybe next 10 years if we're still a coherent civilization, we might figure out, we might discover how to communicate coherently with this level, other level of reality called that he called conscious energy that we would call the spirit, ghosts, uh, whoever, whatever else we might want to call it. And what I found fascinating about what he was saying about uh, about this energy is he talked about being able to harness this energy um, and to be able to use it in, in a yeah. positive way. Well, to be able to communicate with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said it's more intelligent than you are, and the result is that you know it's not going to communicate with us until we're ready. And, you know, it, it, it's really a profound thing because it was clear that it lived outside of space and time as we know it, or outside of time at least as we know it, and therefore it would have a very profound effect on the human experience because if we began to be able to see beyond time, to see the past that really existed and the future that actually will be insofar as that's known, would change us dramatically. And it would change the whole way we live, the way we feel, the way we think about ourselves and what we do, etc. would all change in ways that are very difficult to identify exactly what they would be right now. But it would be the greatest revolution of of, of consciousness in human history by far. Well, there there are some things that the Master of the Key talks about in his conversation with you in the book, The Key. And to me, it seemed like, as you were writing it, it, it came across as he was almost uh, disappointed that we hadn't made certain, advantage, uh, certain advances uh, as, as a species. And it seemed like, I, I'm sure you could judge the tone better having been there and talking with him, but it seemed almost like, well, you know, you haven't been able to leave the planet yet. You haven't been able to, to communicate with this energy yet. And it seemed almost like we were supposed to, and we just hadn't reached that goal, something that arrested us. Well, one of the things that stopped me at the beginning from throwing him out was what he said about the the, the murder of all of the Jews and gypsies and so forth, the people in Central Europe during the Nazi era. Uh, he said that because of the Holocaust, a couple had died, two people presumably had been gassed, who would have borne the child, who would have understood the secret of gravity, and with that understanding in hand, we would have been able to leave the planet in large numbers. We would have been able to colonize the solar system and eventually think about maybe even by now we would be on our way to the stars. We would have become a kind of immortal species then because we wouldn't be completely imprisoned on and tied to planet Earth. He said, you're trapped, you're chained to the ground, was the phrase he used. And uh, uh, we are. And I thought to myself, gosh, you know, if only that hadn't happened, maybe we would be a different species. And he didn't say that we were being punished or anything. He was just sort of saying that it was just part of nature, that this person had not been born, and therefore we, you know, we, we ended up trapped here. And he, he, he used that word, we are trapped, and we're trapped. We're trapped on Earth, and Earth is is losing its ability to uh, to support us. If you read this book, in, in a, and if you read it with a certain mindset, even though the Master of the Key speaks a 
a little bit on religion, or at least what you transcribe from the conversation he speaks about religion. But you could almost read into this a whole new way of thinking about our place in the universe. You could, you could, yeah. make a, you could build a religion based around what the master of the key is, is preaching. Well, I think he would be very disappointed indeed if people started to build a religion around what he's saying. What he did say about religion, some of the things were incredibly beautiful, and I've never heard anywhere before. The most extraordinary one that I remember him saying was that Islam, Christianity, and uh, Buddhism are all really the same religion. That the, the three different parts of it were bought by three different masters. That Islam is about surrender to God. Uh, let me see if I can get this right. Islam is about surrender to God. Uh, Christianity is about uh, about spreading the word of God, and Buddhism is about reconciling these two different forces. It was a very, very interesting comment filled with insight. And uh, I've never, as I say, I've never heard it thought of that way before. It's completely unique in the world, as far as I know. And it's beautifully stated in the book, far better than I can say it here. And as he was saying this, I mean, did it, did it open up? A, uh, there's, there's many points in the book where you uh, remark at some of, uh, some of the comments that he's made. Uh, while you're listening to this, did you ever think that, you know, he was beyond just the human being that he presented himself to be? Uh, I was having my mind blown about every 30 seconds while I was talking to him by that time, uh, midway through the conversation, and I, I hadn't, my mind was too filled with what was we were talking about to think about too much about what I was dealing with in that respect. I did think about that a lot later, of course. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I... I failed to do certain things. I failed to ask him his name. I failed to get any... I want, should have gotten his telephone number or something. But all I asked him... Uh, uh, I, 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 I pussyfooted around the various... You know, I made attempts to find out more about him, but they weren't very effective. He mentioned at one point that he was a Canadian but didn't pay taxes, which uh, was an interesting and provocative comment because, as any Canadian knows... Not many Canadians managed to get away without paying taxes. And uh, I thought he, that led me later, when I was trying to look for him, in the direction of some of the tribal communities in Canada that, aren't, uh, that are off the tax rolls. But I didn't, get much, I didn't have much success there. Uh, I didn't think he was an alien or anything while I was talking to him, no. I, I didn't really think about that. I didn't think... Uh, I still don't know. I mean, he still just seems so human to me. I, I, I can't believe it could be anything but a person. I really wish, in fact, I sort of dream of maybe meeting him again one of these days. Well, I think maybe with the, the publishing of the key in a more mainstream fashion than, than the way that you'd presented it in the past, you know, maybe he will come forward with more information for you. Well, I hope so, because we, when we, uh, First published by one of my motives in publishing it first just on my website, so people could who could buy it, but only bought it off the website, uh, uh, was hopefully that he would come forward. And I was especially thinking, you know, if I've made mistakes, maybe he'll be tempted to correct them. Mm -hmm. And that didn't happen. He never came forward, and I, I just feel a 
a sense of silence. I, I, it's been so long now, I'd be stunned if he ever showed up again. Well, uh, and, you know, he was in his 70s then, he must be in his 80s now, so uh, I don't know if he ever will, if he's even still with us. Well, while I, I appreciate your diligence uh, in trying to locate him and, and speak more with him, I get a feeling, taking away from reading the book, that maybe you know, you're not meant to find him again, that maybe uh, it wouldn't be possible to find him again. I, to me, he struck me as being some sort of, I don't want to say angelic figure, because I don't want to put a specific religious connotation on it, uh, but it seems to me like he is a higher evolved intelligence uh, and that he was a messenger of some sort, and he chose you. Spirit guide incarnate? Perhaps. that he, he chose you maybe based on the fact that your experiences in 1985 opened your eyes to there being more than just what is presented to us. Well, my wife thinks that the reason that, that he ended up on my doorstep was that I could, I could do this and I, that I had been kind of in a school and had been prepared mm-hmm. for this. I think of it as the central thing, the moment of my life. I think it's the most important thing I ever did. And as far as what he was, one thing I will say about him, he was very, he was bubbling with joy. He was extremely happy. Uh, I, I mean, he wasn't laughing and joking or anything, dancing around the room. He was quite serious in his presentation. But there was a, an inner core of joy there that was unmistakable and infectious. He was a, a joyous man. Absolutely. And I felt that throughout the conversation. And I felt also the kind of edges of darkness that were there and sadness uh, that, that that we were in, the state that we were in. And um, uh, but But I think the inner joy was just an abiding truth of his being. And I think, too, that uh, if you do listen, if you do read the words of the Master of the Key and you do take them at face value of what he's presenting, uh, it does pose, like you said, you know, a kind of doom and gloom scenario for our world, but for our species and for our collective consciousness, it, it seems like we are destined for a, a much better existence somewhere along the line if we can achieve it individually. Well, that's right. The, 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 the message to the individual and the message to the species are two very different things in the key. The message to the individual is basically that you can, you can pick yourself up and, and become free. It's quite incredible. It's a, it, it's a wonderfully powerful and tr- true message. I know it's changed me profoundly. And some of the simplest things in it, seemingly simplest things in it, are what have been the most powerful. He, he has a, an, he takes an ethical position in the, in, in, in the conversation. That's a very strong one. That is to the effect that, that we really, that everyone is responsible personally and individually for everyone else. That we are not, not responsible for each other. And, and that is, very heartening, and if you take it to heart, it changes you, and it makes you a better person. But the the one thing that he said that really has had a big of, the biggest effect on me was when I asked him what sin was, and being a Catholic, I'm always interested in sin, because the church makes a big deal of it, and yet they don't ever quite explain what it is. I mean, it's obviously a sin to kill somebody or steal or so forth, 
but you know to find the this the, the things in your life that are weighing you down and making you darker uh, is hard. I mean, it, I'm not a murderer, and I've I've never hurt anyone. Uh, I, I I've never stolen anything. I've never I'm not a liar. I haven't done any of that stuff. I haven't done anything that you would call a sin. I mean, if I basically if I went to confession, I wouldn't know what to say. Uh, because I haven't, I've had a good life. I'm married, uh, 40 years happily to the same woman, faithful the whole time. Have a good child and he's got a good family and, you know, we're fine. We haven't done anything wrong. Most people are like that too. I'm not alone in this respect. Mm -hmm. But he said this. I asked him what sin was and he said sin is denial of the right to thrive. It's not something specific. And if you think about that, it's so freeing because you think, well, all I have to do is to find in myself what I'm doing that denies me and those around me to the chance to reach their full potential, the right to thrive. And you find everything in there. You find your selfishness. You find your greed. You find your your denial, your, in, your willful ignorance, you find it all in there. It's absolutely incredible. Your willingness to filter out the needs of others and pretend they're not there. Your passivity in the face of the desperation of other human beings and of your own life. And it, it's the most fertilizing, enriching thing in the world to examine your own life and your own conscience in terms of those words. They're incredibly freeing. Well, the, I, they were marvelous to me. The master of the key had a very uh, interesting approach to how to free yourself from that. Uh, when he when he mentioned finding the kind of the lowliest you know denizen that you can find and, yeah. and becoming his servant. That's right. He, he was well. I think he was speaking in hyperbole. He said that you should become the servant. You should go to the third world and find the lowliest, most destitute child you can find and become his servant. That's what he said. And it, it's right out of the Gospels. It's right out of the Gospels. It's right out of... Jesus said the same thing. And in, in that sense, he was very, very much a part of the deep current of the best part of the Western religious tradition. No beliefs were demanded, uh, but a, 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 an, an ethical position... It was was demanded. You take you had to take a strong ethical position, and in in the Western world, and if you read the Gospels, Jesus doesn't demand belief. Uh, he demands action. Only when we come to the Council of Nicaea, uh, and 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 the laying down of a cosmology and a theology of 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 the Gospels in uh, the fourth century A.D. do we suddenly have. Uh, a belief system. Jesus didn't leave one behind. Not really. Mm -hmm. uh, but what was what was made of it was this belief system, the Nicene Creed. Uh, I believe it begins with two devastating, crushing words that are like two great chains laid over the shoulders of a person of faith. I believe. As soon as you say those words, you're in trouble. He never said those words, the master of the key. 
One of the things that I, I found the most fascinating about what he said was that he he didn't he never said that uh, it wasn't possible. He never said that it wasn't uh, that we could not evolve to this level, and that if we can escape this greed that we talked about earlier in the show, if we can take down the people who are in power who possess this greed, that we would stand a, a better chance. Did he say then, of course, this being in 1998, if there were any leaders or any people in power that would lead us in the proper direction? Is there anybody that we should be following? No, he never referred to that. What he did say was that the great curse of our age in terms of governments was secrecy. And he was very, very against secrecy. So I guess uh, WikiLeaks would be ethically an ethically positive thing in his, his mm-hmm. in his eyes, uh, and that the release of uh, he really he really was very against it. And he said a great deal of evil had been hidden behind a cloak of secrecy. Uh, he didn't like it at all. That was the I think in terms of government the strongest thing that he said was was he was very against secrecy. And of course, you know, if we live in a world where everything is secret and we're supposed to be able to vote and so forth, how can we make decisions? We can't because we don't know what's really happening. We're, we're, we're a bunch of sheep, and that's how we're treated because the candidates all vie with each other, and they do this in every country in the world. It's not just the United States. Uh, they vie with each other about uh, how they will... Uh, uh, how how perfectly their statements can mirror the, the 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 mood of the electorate without any regard whatsoever to the truth, and so we get one in the United States. We just get one leader after another who proves to be a disappointment, and the people believe each time. Well, this one will surely be better, and there never are. They always end up being essentially the same as the one before. One is a little more competent or a little less competent than the other, but they are all, every single one of them, simply another version of the same kind of failure. Amen. (laughs) Well, he also speaks, too, though, of the ability of God to be in every man and that God is within all of us, and if that's the case, even these people who are in that position, although they're mired in the secrecy, uh, perhaps you know maybe the the light of God can shine out of one of them and they can make a difference. Interestingly enough, the material about God in the key is the subtlest of all of the things in the key, and it's all through the book. And I, you know, it, he comes to a person who's, if anything, I'm an atheist uh, when it comes to the God of the Bible or the God of Islam or any of these gods. I, I don't regard them as being, and I don't see them as being real. I don't see God, Yahweh, or Allah, or any of these gods any more true than Apollo, or Zeus, or Ra. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just names that we apply to forces and presences that we sense but don't understand, and cannot cannot communicate with in a regular and direct basis. But his idea of God was really very different. First of all, it's a holographic idea of God, that, that God is part of everyone and that we all contain and are the whole. In other words, the, the, he, he doesn't, I think he even mentions at one point uh, uh, something from 
a great uh, 13th century, or, yeah, 13th century teacher, Meister Eckhart, uh, who was, I think, the greatest theological mind in the history of the West, uh, probably burned at the stake by the Church, but maybe not. They say they didn't, but so they didn't. In any case, Meister Eckhart at one point says, uh, become as a clear glass through which God can shine. And I, he does mention it specifically, and this is very much uh, what the key is about on that level. It's about a kind of letting go, just letting it go. You know, what, what, what denial of the right to thrive, that denial is always related to some kind of clinging, of clinging to something, clinging to money or position or arrogance or hatreds or, or uh, nursing, nursing injustices, taking pleasure in, in anger, etc. It, 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 that's all of that, and you just you let that stuff go. You just let it fall away, and once you are a clear glass, then you are also then truly yourself. We're not ourselves, truly. We're all living in illusion. Well, perhaps uh, in time and with the spreading of the message that is in the key, which is uh, Whitley Strieber's new book, uh, perhaps this master of the key will be seen as uh, as a prophet, not just in religious terms, but uh, you know, in Edgar Casey type terms, where you're looking forward to making these predictions of, of what will become of mankind, and uh, it's up to people how they want to perceive it and how they want to act on it. But it, it seems to all be laid out in that conversation. Well, it is. It's a, it was a beautiful piece of luck to to come into contact with them. There's a little website about the book called MOTKbook.com that people can go to and look at uh, a little video about it and stuff that I created. And uh, they can also come to my website, unknowncountry.com, to find out more. And I don't think it was luck, Whitley. I think he was... Uh, I think you were meant to spread this message, and I think he knew that your audience and your readership would be some of the first to be willing to accept... Uh, what he had to say, and now hopefully our audience can can take it under uh, and take it into their belief system as well. Well, I hope I haven't come too late. Well, hope, hopefully, uh, hopefully we have time because it doesn't sound uh, good here from what he was talking about for the future of the planet. So let's worry about the future of the species instead and of ourselves. Absolutely, Look to one's own soul first. Well, thank you very much. Hopefully you can come back and join thank us you. some other time, and, and we can talk more about some of these uh, eventual earth changes that are going to befall us and, and talk more about some of your experiences uh, with communion as well. Well, in the fall, I have another book coming out called, uh, this. it's called The Solution to the Communion Enigma, and it's 10 or 15 years in the works, and we'll come. I'll come back and we can talk about that. Excellent. Thank you very much, sir, for joining us, and, and good luck with that, and uh, hopefully... Uh, we can live a little bit better life after having read this book. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good night. That is Whitley Strieber. He's the author of The Key, A True Encounter. You can pick it up on his website, unknowncountry.com and motkbook.com, as well as, of course, uh, anywhere where you can pick up books, Amazon. All the bookstores are carrying it as well. I'll just give it a little 
close up here on Spooky TV. There you go. That way that we don't have to have Moniz hold it up to the cameras all the time. Uh, we are going to take a break for the news, but when we come back, we'll have a whole another hour because the Red Sox got rained out, so we got a full show tonight. So that's a nice change. Uh, and also, we'll, we'll kick around some more paranormal topics as well. There's been a, a lot of stuff happening on the spooky South Coast front that we want to keep you aware of. We've got some upcoming paranormal investigation nights happening uh, that uh, I really shouldn't let the cat out of the bag just yet, but we can we can hint around at them a little bit. And uh, we'll also throw open the phone lines for you as well at 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. You can also email us, spooky crew at SpookySouthCoast.com, where you can jump in the chat room on Spooky TV. And if you haven't watched it yet, go back to the Spooky TV archives on Ustream and check out Spirit Connections with Tiffany Rice. She had a great show this past week. She went really long. She went almost like a Spooky South Coast type show uh, with her guest Stephanie Pendler in a return engagement, and it's uh, it's definitely a great watch. So you can check that out. We'll have it up on the archives there. If Chris hasn't put it up already, on the Spirit Connections archives on SpookySouthCoast.com. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Unplug from your chairs. Get up and look in a mirror. We're not meant to experience the world through a machine. This is the point. I'm talking about my life. I can't seem to get that through to you. I'm not just talking about one person. I'm talking about everybody. I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about interrelationships. I'm talking about God, the devil, hell, heaven. Do you understand? Finally! Spooky South Coast is back. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz, broadcasting live on WBSM and on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. So if you've never experienced Spooky TV, you've got to go check it out because uh, you get to see our ugly mugs on your computer screen while you're listening to the show, and you can also interact with everybody in the chat room. want to say hi to everybody in the chat room tonight. Thanks for joining us. And we had a great discussion in the first hour with Whitley Strieber, the author of The Key, A True Encounter, and uh, also the author of Communion. And uh, I'm excited now that we're going to have him back in the fall to talk about more about his alien abduction experiences. If you've never read Communion, uh, definitely pick it up and read it. But like I said, I had to rip the cover off of mine when I was a kid because it freaked me out so much. I have a new copy now that still has the cover intact, but... It's on my bookshelf, and I keep it kind of turned so that I won't accidentally pull it out and see the cover because it just freaks the crap out of me. <laughs> That's the one thing that really gets me is the uh, is the aliens. So, uh, well, I mean, hopefully they they haven't gotten me as far as I know, but I had some interesting experiences when I was. Would a kid, you like to sure. find out? No, no. <laughs> We've talked about it, and maybe maybe we'll do that someday. Uh, you know, I know I know that Moniz can help me. Uh, find out if it's if it's true or not, but I'm also worried about some of the other things that he's going to implant into my brain if he puts me under, just for fun. <laughs> and I wouldn't expect anything less. I'd do the same thing to him if I had the ability. So, all right, well, we are going to have uh, pretty much an open forum here for the remainder of the program, so if you want to join in at any time, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. Or five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred, and uh, I do have one thing that I want to make people aware of. 
Uh, we have some news here from the Fall River Herald. For those who like things that go bump in the night, even hope they'll go bump, spending the night at the Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast is like being a kid on a good high roller coaster. And what better day for a terrifying ride with the Bordens than on the anniversary of Andrew and Abby Borden's murder on August 4th? It's a night when the whole house is booked with overnight guests and some 300 visitors turn out by day for a tour of 92 Second Street. They're eager to learn about the horrible deaths of the couple that were hacked to death with a hatchet in 1892. They wonder if Lizzie Borden really killed her father and stepmother, or if she uh, had, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, and if she should have been acquitted. They wonder who did it. Some will pay even a high price for that pleasure. Once again, spending the night of August 4th in the John Vinicom Morse room will go on the auction block on eBay. The auction starts this Wednesday, June 1st, the anniversary of Lizzie's death in 1927. And, uh, of course, the John Morse room is not, o- not only is it the room where Ann, uh, Abby Borden was killed, but it's, uh, it's also a, a damn comfortable bed. And it's a beautiful bed, and it's a great room. It's probably it's one of the prize rooms of the house. One of my favorites, Stan. Yeah, exactly. Even without the history, uh, it's a great room. So uh, it'll go up on eBay. Uh, the regular room rates start at one seventy-five and run to two fifty for the Morse room. Uh, it, w- it fetched nearly a thousand dollars on the eBay auction in the past, and a gift basket will also be provided to the highest bidder. So if you go to uh, www.lizzie-borden.com, you can find out more about it. But it will hit eBay on. Wednesday, so make sure that you bid early, bid often, and bid as much as you can because it's going to go for a very high price. And uh, also later on in August, if you don't get the chance to go on the anniversary of the murder, uh, our friend Dave Schrader from Darkness Radio and Jeff Belanger will be putting on an event there. And so we'll have uh, both of them on a little bit later on in the summer to talk about that event. And uh, we'll also be returning there soon as well for one of our paranormal nights. And I kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit before the news break uh, about an upcoming event. So we'll talk more about that. Let's take this phone call first, though. Keep the people in suspense. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you? Doing? Oh, we are spooktacular. Uh, this is Dr. Overboy on the on the board. Um, I've, I've been listening to y'all guys for uh, a long time, and i got to say, uh, for, for one, uh, you are really, I think, sometimes too nice because sometimes some of the subjects that come up are... Somewhat far-fetched, mm-hmm. but uh, you seem to be real cool and 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 real. Uh, how can I say equal to uh, everybody that comes out? Well, that's one of our. Uh, that's one of the things that we talked about even in the beginning of this show is that we feel like uh, we're just a conduit for the person that is our guest to tell their story. We're just here to ask the questions. Uh, on behalf of the listeners and to get the story out there. It's not our place to judge. And sometimes we do ask the, the tough questions where we need to, but we have been accused in the past of, of not being tough enough. And we find that, you know, if, if you start getting tough, then you kind of convolute the message and the original intent of what the person's trying to say. No, no, and, and, and that's kind of cool because I, don't, I know you're trying to be uh, free and open. But Moniz, uh, uh, how, how uh, credible was this guy that, that, that was speaking earlier? Whitley Strieber? Yes. Um, he was actually one of the first pioneers that, you know, really talked about alien abduction. Um, uh, my mentor was actually one of the people that worked with him back in the early 80s. Um, he, they put it this way, he's definitely had some sort of experiences and, uh, his experiences help bring forth the subject matter into the, in, into the public eye. He's colored it with his own belief systems, uh, to be sure, but um, th- that's just what he's doing through his own eyes. He doesn't know how to relate a, a, a subject matter that's, you know, hard to describe in words. So he 
does it through means in which he knows. And uh, as a writer, and you know, he he does fairly well. But uh, he he is definitely credible as a uh, a witness per se to uh, to his own events. What's always been kind of the the uh, skeptical question surrounding Whitley Strieber's work is that you know he was known as a fiction writer. He is a fiction writer, uh, but he also through those experiences he had that are portrayed in the book Communion, he was kind of drawn to the nonfiction side. You know, he he was trying to report what happened to him. Uh, rather than make up a story about it. And he has since gone on to write novels uh, about the abduction experience as well. So he has used it as a fictional uh, storyline as well. But his because he writes that fiction, I think people color a lot of his nonfiction work and say, well, you know, he's just taking some information and still weaving a good story around it. Because he's a very good storyteller in addition to being an excellent reporter. Well, look at Isaac Asimov. Isaac Asimov has written literally hundreds and hundreds of books. He's written hundreds of books on books of science, mm-hmm. actual physical science, and hundreds of books of science fiction. I mean, it's so Whitley Strieber is writing about scary events that happened to him personally, and then he writes novels of scary events. You know, doesn't mean that the person can't do both. Well, what, what did you think? Did you find him credible, at least in, in what he was saying in relation to his latest book, The Key? Well, no. As, as far as the key, that's uh, that that was new. But um, I've, I've never read the communion, but I've I've heard a lot of things about it. And you know, I'm I'm uh, like what? Um, what did you hear? <laughs> did you hear the negative yeah. or the positive? Yeah. No, that, that's uh, positive. It's just especially what uh, you talked about back with the with the communion, where you were talking. You know, uh, one of the shows part where where you had to take the cover off the book. But uh, uh, no, just um, I I I just. I, I would just hate for for uh, something negative to to hurt the the, the paranormal world, you know. Uh, I uh, and I just don't want it credit it or or harmed it anyway. Well, I think the the good thing about uh, Whitley Strieber in his, in his work is because he was known as a mainstream writer and because his books like The Wolfen and the Hunger had been made into movies uh, and also later on The Coming Global Superstorm was made into the film The Day After Tomorrow. So he is kind of a known entity and a known property uh, in the world of entertainment. So to have him share his experiences, maybe some people who enjoy his work and some people who are aware of his writing might take it a little bit more seriously because here's somebody that they can say, all right, well, here's a guy who's a writer. I know his work. He's not some of the, somebody out on the fringe who's claiming to have these abduction experiences. But then again, also comes in the other side of that where they say, hey, he's a really good fiction writer and this could just as easily be made up. Yeah. Well, that's cool. No, I just wanted to call in uh, and uh, just uh, just... I guess say hi to you guys and just uh, hope that y'all keep up with the uh, the good work. Well, thank you very much. Where are you calling from, Thanks. just so we can ask? Oh, San Antonio. Oh, yeah, well, we're we're huge out in Texas because everything's bigger out in <laughs> Texas. <laughs> oh, I'm uh, you know, I'm five two myself. <laughs> well, you know now to prove it, we have to we have to ask you to to do the Pee Wee Herman to. Uh, the, the thing with the album. <laughs> well, you have to yell out the stars at night are big and bright and hear everybody. Oh, the, 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 the big and the deep in the heart of Texas. Uh, no, well, um, hey, hey, thanks for listening to us. Uh, did you, you found us on the internet, I assume? Uh, well, no, I, I've been listening to you. Uh, you. All right. His phone cuts out right when he's praising us. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, when, when. I don't know we're, we're on the, uh, the, the show for uh, uh, Test Guys.
Oh, okay. Yeah, that that way. When I heard y'all on there and you were talking about South Coast, I heard it. So that's oh. when I became a fan. Well, that has been a while. So th- thank you very much for listening. Well, thank you. All right, thank have you. a good night. Right, you too. Bye bye. Bye bye. It's amazing sometimes some of the people that I hear from. You know, here we are. We're coming into this studio every uh, every week here in Fairhaven, Massachusetts, and you know, uh, when we get here, it's it's desolate. There's nobody here. The parking lot's empty. You know, the police roll by, and that's about all we see for the whole time we're here. Yeah, but they wave to us. Yeah, they're nice enough to wave. They might even be listening. And so, you know, in in our world, while we're doing this program, <laughs> it's isolation and desolation here. And so to know that there's so many people that are listening and so many people joining us in the chat room every week and interacting uh, not only with us but with each other, you know, we're really proud of what we've built here uh, since January of 2006, and we'll keep doing it. As long as you keep listening, we'll keep doing it. And we should throw out the phone number so people can call in. If Absolutely. 508-996-0500, The phone numbers are also posted on SpookySouthCoast.com, where you can check out Spooky TV and jump in the chat room with those people. And, and my favorite thing about the, the Ustream uh, broadcast that we get there is we can see how many people are viewing and how many people have come by. And our numbers are really good. I'm very happy with our numbers uh, that we get each week. But they're nothing compared to the numbers that Spirit Connections with Tiffany Rice are getting. They're blowing the spooky TV ratings out of the water. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, it's so if you're missing out on that show, you, you definitely want to tune in Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. on Spooky TV. Yeah, if we look like Tiffany, we, we'd be probably getting better <laughs> viewership, too. Uh, that's true. It does help that, uh, you know, you have a show where it's Stephanie and Tiffany uh, talking about the, the world of the spiritual uh, as opposed to us three chumps trying to talk about it. It's uh, it's definitely a little bit easier on the eyes, but it's also a little bit easier on the brains because they know what they're talking about. They certainly do. And, and if you haven't seen that show, make sure you check it out. The chat room is always up and running for that as well, so you can join in and, and discuss with them as well. And uh, I know that there are some big shows coming up on, on Spirit Connections as well as on Spooky South Coast as well. We've got a whole summer packed with great guests. Uh, next week, we have a little bit of an issue. The Bruins, you know, congratulations to them for making it to the Stanley Cup Finals, but there's a game Saturday night at 8 o'clock, so we forgive you, Dave, if no matter what happens, you you won't be joining us uh, in the chat room, but uh, it definitely seems like, uh, you know, the Bruins are on a magical ride, so who are we to stand in the way of that? We'll just sit around. We'll wait for it to get over. Uh, there's also a Red Sox game on that night as well, so I, I don't know. I think the Red Sox are going to be on. Um, instead of the Bruins, so it could just be regular time. We're not exactly sure, but uh, I will find out for sure, and I'll post it up on Facebook, and we'll get it up on the website during the course of the week. But either way, I mean, there'll be there'll be some sort of program happening, so you want to tune in. And I believe our guest scheduled for next week is Nick Redfern. So ah, cool. Yeah. So it's and of course, you know, we've discussed his work for many years here on the show. Uh, he came out to the Mass Monster Mash. and I had a blast hanging out with him. He's a great guy. But we've never had him on the show, so it'll be the first time we've actually had him on the program. And uh, I'm looking forward to it because he is someone who is well-versed in all areas of the unknown. Uh, you know, it, it, No matter what you want to talk about, Nick has done not just written about it, but he's done serious, serious research about it. And so I think that's one of the things that uh, people overlook is that the fact that uh, you know Nick is probably one of the hardest working researchers out there, 
in the field today because he's so prolific. You know, he's on TV, he does radio shows, he's writing, uh, but uh, he is one of the most hardcore researchers you'll find. And so I'm not surprised, Moniz, that you and he are kindred spirits. Yeah, we uh, we we get along like uh, gasoline and yeah. <laughs> well, why don't we talk about that event that we have coming up? Uh, you know, I I was discussing things with Jeff. We still have to set a date. We still have to uh, actually finalize everything, uh, but I can kind of uh, preliminarily announce that we do have something in the works for July. Uh, it's coming up. It'll be in Rhode Island, if everything works out, and uh, I'll leave it at that. But coming up in August, people have been waiting for this for years. People yep. have been waiting for their chance to get into the Fearing Tavern in Wareham and investigate it, and to be able to visit that little historical corner of Wareham, Massachusetts, and investigate it. And we're going to be able to open the whole place up to you. As of right now, we know for sure you'll be able to investigate the Fearing Tavern, Yep. the old meeting house that's across the street from the Fearing Tavern, the one-room schoolhouse that is on the same property, and the chapel that is on the same property. So these are uh, four of the most historic buildings, not only in Wareham, but in the entire South Coast area. The tavern was built in 1690. So, I mean, you're not going to get a chance to get into a place that old and investigate it. And so we know for sure that that's happening. I still have to work on some things with the town to try to get the Tremont Nail Factory and the various outbuildings associated with that. But we're hoping to have that happen. And if if that can happen, then forget it. We're going to have the entire run of the neighborhood. There's going to be so many different little spots to investigate uh, so many possibilities for unique activity that you wouldn't find anywhere else. Well, it's interesting because all of those places all have a history of something and have had a history of haunted for a long time, and it's congregated in that one little spot. And it's got all the factors, and we'll we'll yeah. get into all that as we get closer to the event, but uh, there's plenty of, I'll say, scientific reasoning to believe that the area is kind of paranormally charged. And uh, in addition to offering all this investigation, we'll also have lectures uh, at the meeting house before the investigations start. And we're thinking we're going to feed everybody at the, uh, the Mill Pond Diner, which is located right there. So uh, basically what it'll be is, you know, we'll park in the Mill Pond Diner parking lot. There's a room there for about 20, 25, 30 cars. And uh, we'll have everybody meet at the meeting house. We'll feed them uh, at the diner. They'll investigate all those spots. And it's going to be everything that you need in one night, all within walking distance. And uh, we're going to put that on. We're looking at doing it in August, maybe the uh, middle to the end of August, and then also doing it again in October. So we're hoping that the summer crowd will get a chance uh, to investigate it in the summer months, and then in October it'll be ready again. So I'm excited for it. I'm excited not only because I know that the Fearing Tavern has some great activity happening, but I know that people have been waiting to get in there since we first started talking about it a few years ago on the show. Well, most people don't know is the diner's also been rumored <laughs> to have been haunted. Yeah, there's there's been some spirit activity happening in there as well, and we, we can get into all that when we have the event. But what's interesting about this is I was meeting with the Historical Society earlier this week, and we were talking about it. And I'm trying, and you know, they're, they're talking about, um, you know, how many people are going to show up. And they're like, well... You know, if we have a small group of five or ten people, I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. We have been talking about this for so many so many yeah. years, and it's been in my book, it's been in Mike Markowitz's book, it's been mentioned on other shows, it's, 
it, it's at the point now where the paranormal community is just salivating at the chance to investigate the Fearing Tavern. So you don't understand. The first day we announce this, we'll probably sell it out. So that's what will probably end up happening. Uh, so we're hoping we can keep it at a pretty good-sized crowd because there's going to be so many different places uh, for people to investigate. So if you don't get in in the August uh, trip, then for sure we'll announce. So we'll hopefully announce the October trip right at the same time. Uh, and we're even talking about maybe, and this is still in the very beginning stages, offering a package deal for our July event and for our August event. Uh, so of July in Rhode Island and August in Wareham, Mass. You, you really can't uh, really can't go wrong. What better way to spend a summer night than investigating historic haunted Wareham? I mean, we do it anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> and uh, you'll get the chance to join us. And and Matt, can we? Do you, do you want to say that you and I will prepare the the meal again? Um. I don't want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> we well. <laughs> I have to say that the the last time that we did it, we got a lot of uh, compliments uh, about the food, the you, food guys that you prepared. Unreal. I mean, I, obviously, I don't want you to have to overwork yourself like you did that night. You you ran yourself ragged that night, but it wasn't too bad. It was all right. I think that uh, that's all everybody was talking oh, about was oh. the food that you made, man. That was unreal. I think that we can come up with a, a pretty easy menu that'll make everybody happy, and you know. If, if you want to order out well, and just pretend like you made it yourself and put it out on the plates, that's fine, too. We could say we'll do it, and if we can find somebody else to pawn it off on, I'm all for that, too. That's pretty much the spooky South Coast way. Yeah. You know, we come up with the ideas, and then we pawn it off on somebody else. That's how it works <laughs> here on the show. <laughs> all right, yes, and, uh, yeah, I, I see the comments in the chat room from, from Vale's Edge. Absolutely, I will have my wife make some desserts. So I don't I don't know if people know that they are available for purchase at the Mill Pond Diner. You can actually purchase. My wife goes in one night a week and does some baking. So if you can get them while they last, you know you can go in there and, and purchase them for yourself. But uh, stay tuned. We'll we'll have announcements about that pretty soon uh, once we finalize everything. And I just got uh, I just got a, a text message from our content director Christopher Balzano. We have Clarissa Vasquez returning to the show next week. And Nick Redfern will be on on the 25th of June. So, very exciting. And that gives me some more time to read uh, the other 25 of Nick's books that I haven't finished yet. <laughs> and uh, so we'll be very excited to have Clarissa back on next week. Uh, so stay tuned for that again. You know, we'll be here waiting for the Red Sox or the Bruins to wrap up, whoever is on the air. So, one other thing that I want to throw out there. Uh, I've been putting up on Facebook, and thank you to all my Facebook friends for being not only so generous with the donations, but also so patient with the fact that I've been putting it up there so often. Uh, but my son is involved in the 24-hour Wayham baseball game. We actually played the first portion of the game today. It kicked off at 1 p.m., and his team went first. So they played their, their portion of the game, but it's still going on right now. So hello to everybody out there at the fields. And uh, it's going to be going on until 1 p.m. tomorrow. So what we found out is that you can still donate until the game is over at 1 p.m. tomorrow. Uh, my son has already raised enough money to have lunch with Nomar Garcia Power, but now we're getting really competitive about it. We want to make sure that he's sitting at the head table, and the top 10 fundraisers get to sit at the head table. Uh, so we've been promoting this. I've been promoting this on my Facebook, trying to get people uh, to donate and help raise them up there. And all the money, of course, goes to the league, and some of it goes to Nomar Garcia Power's charity as well. So it goes to a good cause. I mean, trust me, if you've ever played at the, the Wareham Fields, you know they are beautiful fields, but 
it takes a lot to keep them up. And over on the T-ball field, we are in desperate need of some new benches. Hopefully they can get us the nice aluminum benches that screw right into the ground. <clears throat> Instead of the, uh, you know, the wooden plank over two cinder blocks that they have now that the kids cannot stop bouncing on <laughs> and cracking <laughs> repeatedly. Um, but if you go to, uh, if you go to my Facebook page, uh, Tim Weisberg, you can find the link to donate. It's actually, it's Warehams with an S, W-A-R-E-H-A-M-S, 24HRBallGame.org backslash player backslash Adam W. So that's the address. And if you, but if you go to my Facebook page, you can find it there as well. I've been posting it up constantly. Uh, any donation is appreciated, big or small, but we are offering a special deal. Uh, if you donate $100 or more, we are going to give you a Spooky South Coast prize pack. So you get a signed copy of Ghosts of the South Coast, my book, a Spooky South Coast t-shirt, a bumper sticker, some pens if we got them. And uh, also, Linda Lynch has graciously offered a half-hour tarot card reading to anybody who also donates $100 or more. So if you do that, you have a little bit of time left. Uh, you can go onto the site there and make that donation via PayPal. Uh, or if you want to come by the studio before the end of the night, you can do that as well. We'll be here till midnight. Uh, and it's it's not it's not a bad cause to donate to. I can tell you that because um, Wareham Little League is a finely run organization, and this 24-hour baseball game uh, was a great idea. It was a big success. So I'm going to stop by the fields on my way home. I should have brought my glove because, from what I hear, they need some coaches to play the overnight hours. We should have had a spooky South Coast team. <laughs> you know, uh, we 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 could have gotten. I mean, Chops, you're out there in Wareham. You know. I bet you're a home run hitter, Matt. You could have played. What are you? What are you? Center field. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Moniz, you probably done some beer league softball in your time. Oh, uh, a bit <laughs> more beer than softball, but that's fine. <laughs> so uh, you know, but uh, like I said, it's a great cause, uh, and and I'm proud of uh, all the the work that my team did today. Uh, it, it's it's a challenge. It's a challenge coaching kids, and especially where I don't really know the game of baseball very well, I'm kind of learning at the same time. So uh, you're a sports writer, huh? I I know, but I don't know the ins and outs of baseball. It's not my coverage area. It's not my area of expertise. Like I freely admit, I know very little about hockey. Uh, but I, I guess I mean not to get off on a tangent here, but I mean part of what I do as a sports writer is um, what we do in the paranormal field too. It's not my job to necessarily know everything about what I'm talking about, but it's my job to report on what I see. I understand, Dave. Yes, pucking that. And when, <laughs> when you can do that at least one time, as the Bruins found out yesterday, that that's enough. Uh, but that that's that's the the job to kind of just report on what we're seeing. You don't have to understand the ins and outs of everything, uh, but when you're coaching it, you really should know the ins and outs of everything. And I don't. Um, but I'm learning as the kids learn and. You know, the one thing they can't convince me to do, though, my, my fellow coaches, is they can't convince me to pitch to the kids because I just know I'm going to hit somebody's kid, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll feel bad. And it'll, it'll Some look, of them intentionally. Well, that's the thing is they're going to think I did it on purpose. So, uh, But anyway, so the, there you go. If uh, if you want to make a donation, just go to my Facebook page, and you can do that, and we appreciate it, anything that you want to give. And, you know, we don't really put our hands out here on the show very often. Once a year we do put out a call for some donations. We don't get overly pushy about it but i think people forget that you know we're not paid employees of the station we are not uh we don't make money off of this show you know we we do this uh you know uh, because we love it 
We do this because we love bringing the show to you. And so, you know, every once in a while we do ask for things for good causes. I know Matt Moniz has a great cause coming up. Yeah. Something that I want to take part in if I can get down there because it just sounds so cool and unique. Matt, what's what's lined up? Uh, we have something uh, going on at the Sipican Rod and Gun Club on June 6th. It's called the Shoot for the Cure. Uh, all the money goes to uh, the American Cancer Society. We have... Four different ranges set up, pistol range, a 50-yard range, 100-yard rifle range, and the skeet range. Uh, the 25-yard pistol range is going to be set up for kids to use um, air rifles and uh, 22s. They, sh- they get to shoot at lollipops, balloons, and various other things. The 50-yard range, there's going to be like a, a bowling pin shoot and things like that. I'm in charge of the 100-yard range, and I'm going to be dealing with uh, military rifles then and now, us and them, which will what? have rifles from World War II up to current day, both Axis and Allied, uh, you know, foreign and domestic. So, uh, and the shotguns, obviously, you're going to get to shoot at clay pigeons. There's a, there's a question on the chat room, an M1? Yep, there'll be an M1 there. Uh, if it served in a war or in a military in the past hundred years on our side or theirs, it'll be there with the exception of machine guns, because that's, you know, that requires a special license for mm-hmm. people to handle, but it'll be well-controlled and maintained. Are these guns coming from the personal collections? of Some are coming some from mine and, and, and our friends, yes, as well as from a couple of um, uh, gun, gun shops putting their the, the stuff out there. You will be uh, able to select which one you want. You you. Purchase a ticket or a do- make a donation for a ticket, and we'll load it up and set up the targets. And uh, all the safety material will be there. There will be range safety officers, police officers uh, working as safety people and things like that. It's, it will be a very safe event. Also, Brigitte Nielsen will be there. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> and uh, this event, you said, is June 6th at the Sipican Rod and Gun Club. And tell everybody where that's located. Uh, it's on Dexter Lane in uh, Rochester, Massachusetts. Follow it all the way to the end. You'll put it this way: you'll be able to hear the, the sound <laughs> of gunfire. It's really easy to get to off Route 195, uh, so you can't go wrong. June 6th, and we'll put all the details up on the website as it becomes closer. I know Matt, you don't get a chance to use Facebook as much anymore. No, but once you send me all the all the information, I'll keep putting it up on Facebook as well. I got a good flyer; I can probably let you scan. There we go, and and we'll keep putting it up there. That was a Beverly Hills Cop reference, yes. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, you can't go wrong with it. I mean, I know a lot of our, our listening audience, they are gun owners and they are gun enthusiasts, uh, but also there's probably some people who have always thought, gee, I'd really like to shoot a gun, but I don't own one and I don't, you know, I'm not licensed and, you know, this is a good chance to get out there, see what it's all about. And The money goes to the American Cancer Society. I mean... Pretty much every dime that we're getting, there's going to be food and other entertainment there and stuff. But it's going for a very good cause. And so make sure you take part in that June 6th at the Sipican Rod and Gun Club. And, uh, well, like I said, we'll have all the details uh, put up on my Facebook and we'll have it up on, uh, yeah, there I am. I just pulled it up. And now we'll see if we can get it up on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. What's the time for the event? Uh, it's going to start, I believe, somewhere around 10 o'clock in the morning and go till about 5.30, 6 o'clock in the evening. The correct answer to that question is it's going to start whenever we feel like it. We're the ones with the guns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so there you go. So shoot for around 10 o'clock. Shoot for. Ah, no pun mm-hmm. intended. For around 10 o'clock and uh, there you go. 
So uh, it, it definitely has been uh, an interesting week uh, since our lack of being raptured. Uh, the man who predicted the rapture, Harold Camping, came out and said that, uh, you know, he was wrong in the regard that it was not a physical rapture, it was more of a spiritual rapture, and that the actual end is coming in October. So, you know, I guess we got a little bit of a reprieve here. I mean, I, when I, when there's people that I didn't see all week long, uh, after Saturday, I started to worry, hmm, I wonder if they got raptured and I didn't. Why they get picked? Because they're jerks. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, we had one big collective moment where even if we were laughing about it, you know, as, as a species, as a, as a great society, we kind of came together over one issue. And it's very rare that something non-catastrophic can bring people together like that, but we were all united in making fun of Harold Camping. So <laughs> I guess if there was something that had to bring us together, it was that. And we get to do it again in October. Yeah, it's going to be even <laughs> more fun then because that's supposed to be the actual end. Uh, but then again, I do put in the disclaimer that, uh, you know, I reserve the right to change my mind if the world does end. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Matt Costa, w- w- what were your thoughts on that? You know, we didn't really have such a very long show last week because of the Red Sox. Uh, so we kind of did just go with the flow a little bit and we didn't, I didn't even remember to record it for Spooky TV. That's yeah. how, that's how bad it was. But, uh, you know, what were your thoughts on all that? Because, on the I, rapture? yeah, I mean, I was telling you for weeks, you know, we're going to do this big rapture party show. I never really asked you if you were a believer. For all I know, you were sitting over there really concerned. And I, I didn't know. And uh, I apologize if that's the case. No, I, I was, I was prepared to do some last minute cramming before the <laughs> final exam. You were, uh, you were ready to, uh, start, uh, swearing allegiances to whoever would listen? Yeah. It, uh, is there anything that you're disappointed in, you know, that, that, uh, w- was there, Anything you were really looking forward? Anybody you were looking forward to see go? Um, not in particular. But. I, I I was one thing I was looking forward to was trying to find out, you know, once everybody supposedly went up, is exactly which, um, which television evangelists actually got to go. You know, how many of them legitimately got raptured, and how many of them are still going to be? Behind? And it wouldn't have been that hard to figure out because you can just watch the shows live on Sunday morning. You know, so you know if you turn to one of them and the guy's not there, well, there you go. He was a winner. Yeah. Uh, and everybody else would have had the same doom and gloom message. I was just on uh, Striper's Facebook <laughs> <laughs> waiting for some updates. Really? And then Striper didn't have any updates? No, nothing. You know what, though? The I th- thought they would. Yeah. Should have went to Creed. They, that's more updated. Well, uh, <laughs> but at least with Striper, you know, they're going to tell you, honestly... All right, Mike, we, we have history anyway. We yeah. Well, do you, do you want to tell this story? No. <laughs> yeah, one of the band members actually lives in Wyoming. Yeah. Well, he did. I don't. I think he's no longer there. But at the <laughs> time that the story took place, he did. You you don't want to share the story with the audience of? Uh... I don't know if I have my facts right anyway. Because it, it was a long time ago. Okay. Yeah, but if Whitley Strieber can transcribe an entire conversation that happened in 1998, <laughs> you know that he didn't remember to write down, then. You know, you could. I just had an encounter, and I didn't realize it was him until <laughs> till after. Because if you realized it was him, you would have made fun of him a lot more than you did. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Monies, what, what? What's what? People say that Striper is an acronym. What's what's? This, I don't remember what it's oh. supposed to be an acronym for. Uh, you're making me reach back. Uh, I I used to make up some some things for it, but whether it's. Accurate or not. It was like salvation thing. through, I don't know. Yeah, there, there was a number of different things for, for it. 
Well, if anybody out there knows, they can give us a call, 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. But, uh, yes, Striper. <laughs> Here we are. Now we're talking about the <laughs> classic hair metal portion of the program, which I know will get a lot of our listeners excited. Uh, well, speaking of uh, which, uh, our friend Wayne Morrison has some events coming up uh, in June and July. June 16th, there's a dine and stroll happening in Fall River uh, where his band Noisy Toys will be playing. And uh, then coming up, uh, 4th of July weekend will be, I think it's either 4th of July weekend or maybe it's later, I forget the exact date, but uh, Rock for Christmas in July will be happening in the city of Fall River as well. So you want to stay tuned for those because Wayne always puts on a good show, as we know, yeah. from yeah. going for Rock for Christmas. So uh, we'll have, uh, here we go. Striper, salvation through redemption, yielding peace, encouragement, and righteousness. And Mike, i got to ask you, did you look that up or did you know it already? <laughs> because that's the... Uh, the big question. Hey, they were a big band. And uh, when, um, you know, Chris Jericho talks about some of the, the big bands that influenced him when he was a teenager, you know, that's one of the bands that he always talks about. So they definitely have a, they definitely have a following. It sounds almost like we're, we're up against our time slot competition, The House of Hair. <laughs> I'm Dee Snyder with The House of Hair. That's a great show. I, I used to listen to it every Saturday night before we started coming in here and doing this show. Uh, actually, he hangs out with Roger a lot. Yeah, uh, our friend Roger Schwenard from Sinners and Saints. We'll just keep dropping little references here of places we can sneak in <laughs> plugs. Yeah. Uh, but Sinners and Saints Tattoo in Wareham. Yeah, Roger's uh, worked with Dee for a number of years, and he put together some great events, Roger, in yeah. the past. And they've always got great stuff going on. Are you getting them involved with your fundraiser? I might. Yeah. I, I might. Um, uh, Wareham's a weird little town when it comes to rock and roll. We actually have a number of different rock and rollers that are... Yes, hang out. Yes, that spent some time living there for a while, and yep. it's uh, it's it's for some reason. I've, I mean, I've talked about those people in the past. For some reason, though, it's just it's got that great rock community, so it's not surprising that uh, a lot of them are are brought there. Well, low battery, Dave. The answer to your question is, I, I guess yeah. yes. I don't know, but I'm going by what like yeah. Moniz tells me. I hang out with these people. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> hang out with people. You're the one that you make it for them. Yeah, well, that's well. Sh- if anybody ever knew where Moniz Island really was, if they could get past the Claymores. Mm. Yeah. All right. So, well, well, let's move on. Well, I got Costa living down there yeah. with me now. Yeah. Well, I, I've, I've given him, you know, the access code, so he's all set. Well, I, I don't know if we were going to go public with that information. He won't tell us Michael Sweet's story, but he'll talk about living on Moniz Island. How? I got to ask you, how is it living down there? I mean, you got all these weird creatures that he must be making in the lab, running around. The you know the <laughs> the chupacabra Bigfoot mix. It's weird. It's like going down Jurassic Park every time. <laughs> we have a T Rex. I, I keep expecting like a Velociraptor to come out and slash my tire. <laughs> and uh, Chris Balzano checks in. Uh, that striper was a reference to the Bible passage that through God's stripes they were healed. So I, I just thought it was yellow and black attack. That's why, <laughs> that's why they wore those. Uh, you know what's interesting too is you know the same time that striper was popular, the Killer Bees were Chris Balzano's favorite tag team. Did they used to throw out Bibles during concerts? I think they did. Yes, it's kind of dangerous. It is because it's not. It's not like it's. You well, know, maybe maybe if it's like the King James Bible. I don't know. Like that look, smaller is it? Like the key by Whitley Schreiber. Yeah, on a bridge, you could hurt oh, somebody yeah. with that. The key by <laughs> Whitley Schreiber is a nice, you know, small, easy, compact, easy to read book, and it has its own prophetic messages. So you could just take this book and throw this out at concerts. <laughs> 
and uh, it would be a lot. Oh, August 27th, by the way, you know, we're just having a conversation here while the audience listens in. August 27th, by the way, I might take that night off. I might go see the monkeys at the Cape Cod Melody Tent. I've seen them before, but this could be my last chance, so I might have to go do that. So either you guys will handle the show, or you guys can come with me to see the monkeys, and we'll throw something in the can. <laughs> either way. Yeah. Oh, man. Now, when I when I saw them, it was just Davey and uh, Mickey. So I'm hoping that Peter will be with them, and I can see three out of the four anyway. Maybe Mike will make a rare one-time-only appearance. Who knows? I'm a huge monkeys fan, though. <laughs> I am. I'm not ashamed of that. Nothing wrong with it. No, good music. They're a funny group. You know? What the hell they toured with Hendrix? Yeah, we, we can get into the <laughs> discussion some other time about, you know, they didn't play their own instruments. They did. After the first two albums, they did. And while the music that they played on wasn't as commercially viable as the first two albums, it was also some great music. There was also a lot of stuff that wasn't so good. And so, you know, there's a little bit of a, uh, yeah, see, take the spooky show to, to go see the monkeys so we can see it on spooky TV. Let's see if we can get the monkeys to come on spooky South Coast. And promote that event. I, I might be able to pull that off. We've got enough monkeys in here. That's true. But, uh, you know, we're too busy talking to really put anybody down. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We only got about eight more minutes to kill, so I'll, I'll find a way to do that without making too many more groan inducers. Uh, but, I mean, as we get into summer, we're going to have a lot more opportunities to, to do different things to get out there and do different events and do some different investigations. I mean, we've got, basically we've got a, a line a mile long of places that people want us to come out and investigate with them. And I keep saying, oh, wait till the summer, wait till the summer. We're really busy, wait till the summer. So uh, there's going to be some places that we start getting into uh, that maybe we can talk about on future episodes of the show and bring people in for different events as well. I mean, if, if these events work out and if people like what we're doing, uh, we could theoretically put one of these on every month because there's so many places that are on board that say, hey, Spooky South Coast, yeah, you guys got a good reputation. You know, we've heard good things. We've heard things. <laughs> good things. And so, uh, you know, they're willing to open the doors You really got to thank your mom for sending those emails. Out. Hey, my mom doesn't know how to send an email. <laughs> you ever, are you friends with my mom on Facebook? Come on. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Actually, I think I am. <laughs> yeah, you probably are. Uh, but... Uh, uh, we we built a, a pretty good network of places that, that are interested in having us uh, take part. So we could actually do this um, every month. And here in the chat room, uh, we have uh, our friend Luann mentioning she didn't know the monkeys did a movie. Neither did the monkeys, if you've seen it. Because my guess is that everybody was pretty high when they put that movie on. But that movie was actually written, co-written, by Jack Nicholson back when he was just a B-movie actor. He co-wrote the monkey movie Head. Did he direct it, too? Uh, I think he was involved in part of it. Uh, he worked with uh, Bob Rafelson, who was the producer of the whole Monkey Show, and you know they were trying to put that on. But uh, if, if if you like Head and you like the twist, thank you. If you like <laughs> the twisted uh, surrealism of the movie Head, and if you like the Monkeys, you got to check this out. I didn't know about this until a few years ago. You got to check out the 33 and a third RPM special that they did. I think it's called the Monkeys 33 and a third RPM. Mm-hmm. I have it. I got it through illegal means via the internet, but it is just weird. I mean, it makes head look like Gone with the Wind uh, in terms <laughs> in terms of uh, the difference of it's just it's it's something that has to be experienced to be understood. You could definitely sit back and. Eat a couple of lazy brownies. And yeah, have some lazy brownies. 
What we should do is we should we should rent a, a theater somewhere, rent an auditorium somewhere with a screen, and we should have people sit through the movie Head and the 33 and a third special, and then when they come out, be like, and now the stuff that we talk about on the show doesn't seem so weird, does it? <laughs> because it, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, do a show on Lazy Brownies. Do you mean do a show about Lazy Brownies or do the show after eating Lazy Brownies? Because uh, I might be, <laughs> I might be up to the challenge of doing that. Spooky South Coast, live from the opium den. <laughs> have, have either of you tried a lazy brownie yet? No. no. Because uh, I, I haven't. I, I don't have that much time. It's the same reason why people are like, you know, hey, have you ever done this? Have you ever done No. I don't have. People have asked me. Not that I would do it, but they've said, hey, have you ever taken acid? <laughs> and I said, no. Not just because I'm against doing that stuff, but because I don't have that kind of time. To dedicate to something. Have you ever done mushrooms? No, I don't have time to do mushrooms. Not that I would. I mean, I might eat them accidentally because I I eat a lot of mushrooms anyway. But I'm not saying a thing. Well, of course, we're looking at the human test tube over here. (laughs) Yeah, the '80s kind of uh, yeah experimental. In the '80s, you made Keith Richards look like Nancy Reagan. Yep. (laughs) They kind of look like anyway. (laughs) That's true. They kind of. You're gonna start tying weird stuff in your hair. Yeah. Okay. So uh yeah, but you know, one one of the things that people always said is uh you know, if you're if you're into the paranormal, you're into the spiritual stuff, you have to try peyote because that's going to open your mind to new experiences. That's another thing that I don't have time to dedicate an entire day to. Uh so and that's a couple of days I think. Yeah, yeah, you got to go out into the go out into the woods and yeah, find find your power animal. <laughs> your animal totem. <laughs> but uh you know, and then of course there was uh, there was also that time that uh, Miley Cyrus tried to get me to do Salvia, and I was like, "I'm sorry, you know, I hate to be the buzzkill here, Miley, but turn I- down that Bush record." <laughs> oh, uh, hey, by the way, we only got a few minutes here, but uh, not to get into something really ridiculous. But uh, have you seen the Miley Cyrus cover of "Smells Like Teen Spirit"? Oh God, terrible. Yes, there's actually a YouTube video out there where uh, she actually covered Smells Like Teen Spirit. What's funny about it is I don't think Miley Cyrus even knows what Teen Spirit smelled like. I don't think anybody, any kids today that listen to Nirvana, I don't think they understand where that title comes from. Uh, does, I mean, anybody I'm gonna, Anybody in the chat room remember about Teen Spirit? I will actually... Uh, wait a second for anybody to answer that. See, no, see, even, even Dave, who is... You know, our age group, he doesn't know anything about it. Teen Spirit was a deodorant. It was a deodorant in the early 90s that was marketed toward teenagers. And, uh, you know, they used to have that commercial, New Teen Spirit, just for teens by men. And we could have just looked it up on YouTube and played it instead of having me sing it. But it smelled and terrible, didn't it? It did. It, it was terrible. Like insecurity yeah. and just. <laughs> it, sm- <laughs> it, it smelled like what it would smell like if your parents just didn't understand. <laughs> but, uh,. <laughs> It was a deodorant that was popular in the 80s, and then Nirvana made the song based on the fact that all these, you know, sheep kids were all wearing Teen Spirit. So, I don't know. No, that was Teen Steam, Chops Wood. Yeah. No, he's like the Alyssa Milano exercise tape. That was Teen Steam, uh, which I'm happy to report uh, is still alive and well on the Internet. So I'll probably go to jail for downloading it, and not because it was illegal. All right, well, that about does it for this week's show before we get into ourselves in any more trouble. So uh, 
We'll be back next week following the sporting event of your choice. I will be here on WBSM, and we'll have our guest, Clarissa Vasquez. We'll talk about all kinds of paranormal things with her, and we've got a whole bunch of shows lined up for the rest of the summer. I'm going to update the archives soon, I promise, uh, coming out of my busy schedule here, so I should be able to get those archives up there. Make sure to tune in to Spirit Connections with Tiffany Rice on Spooky TV Tuesday night at 9 o'clock. And who knows now, they're not limited by that half an hour. They could go all night. And uh, we'll be back again next Saturday night. So until then, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, for Chris Balzano, I'm Tim Weisberg. And, of course, we want you all to have a happy Memorial Day weekend and also to stay spooktacular. <laughs>